If you've been around Chair Central for a number of years, you'll know that normally what we do at the beginning of a brand new year is spell out our vision for the year ahead. But as you may have noticed, we're doing things just a little bit differently this year. I mean, let's be honest, with all the uncertainty around right now, it is incredibly hard to plot any kind of definitive course through the coming 12 months. And so what I've chosen to do instead is give a little bit of a free pass to the regular preaching team to try and articulate their best sense of what the Spirit would say to us as a church in the year ahead. If you like, these are a collection of pastoral words that we very much hope and pray are helpful for the season to come, however long that season is. And so, just by way of a swift recap, so far, if you remember, I kicked things off by issuing a bit of a rallying cry to regroup and rebuild, to gather around and go back into the city. Johnny has inspired us to give attention to our household and focus our attention on how we could restructure our home life to help us grow into more faithful followers of Jesus. Last week, Rich encouraged us to develop more of a culture of encouragement and love as we knit others into the church family. Uh, and just to tip you off, next week uh, I've invited a good friend of mine, Toppy Colioso, to share with us what he feels God would say to us in this season. Toppy leads Jubilee Church in London. I've got to tell you, he's a phenomenal faith-filled leader, and I'm incredibly excited to have him with us. That's next time. But what I want to do today is seek to answer the basic question, how do we not just survive the coming year in our family life, in our work, at school, in the church? How do we not only survive, but actually come out the other side, having in some way grown through the whole experience? And even more than that, is there a way to travel this road together with joy? And to find the answer, I want to turn to the first four verses of the letter of James, most likely James, the brother of Jesus. Now, by way of background, most scholars date this letter we're going to be dipping into right after a wave of persecution had caused the church in Jerusalem to scatter as they sought to escape imprisonment or even death. So first of all, James is writing to people who are no longer together as a church because really to a pre-digital world with no internet a letter was by far your best option. He's also writing to a church that are facing as we're going to see trials of many kinds and if you read between the lines they aren't particularly happy about any of this. Now does any of that sound kind of familiar? Can any of you relate to any of this? Well, just have a listen to what James writes to a bunch of people who are separated from each other, who are facing many trials, and who aren't particularly happy about it. Here's what he writes. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. 
For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What I want to do is just slowly walk back through these verses, underlining some of the key words as we go. First of all, then, there's the word consider. James says, consider it an opportunity for joy. Consider could also be translated count it. Basic idea is to run a mathematical calculation on all of your troubles, to sort all of the data of your life into two main columns, a profit column and a loss column. And the idea is that when you value what God values, you'll realise that the result of times of trouble is a net profit. Now, don't know about you, but if I'm being honest, I would tend towards labelling most of the year that's just gone as a bit of a loss. I mean, we've all lost so much, haven't we? Some of you, you you've lost people that you love, friends, family. Some of you have lost your job or some business or a dream or your plans or an opportunity. It could be as simple as just losing your favourite restaurant or coffee shop. And we've all lost freedom. We've all lost the ability to gather together as a church. I mean, we, we can't even gather as a community group in our homes right now. We're, we've lost out on simple things like sharing a meal and breaking bread and remembering Jesus together around a table. We've lost so much. I think it's easy to forget all the things that are in the gain column. You see, pain has the potential, doesn't it, to, to give us far more than it takes away. And so James is saying, I want you to do the maths. I want you to add it all up. I want you to see there is more profit than loss. And so the logical conclusion is joy. In fact, great joy or pure joy. In other words, not one part joy, but three parts sorrow. No, this is an undiluted, overwhelming joy. Jesus, if you remember, on one occasion famously prayed that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The picture here is of a cup that is full all the way to the top and is overflowing. And this joy ultimately comes from Jesus. It's a joy that is found solely and exclusively in him. Circumstances don't give us this joy. And so circumstances can't take it away from us. This is a joy that defies and transcends all of our troubles. And so consider it great joy. When? When troubles of any kind come your way. No, not if, but when. Troubles will come. As Job once put it, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. Or again, in the language of Jesus, in this world, you will have trouble. It's like trouble is the rule. Ease is the exception 
to the rule. Which might sound pretty pessimistic or even depressing, but acceptance of the fact that life is hard is not only the path to maturity, it is also the path to joy. As my Zimbabwean friend Mpi Ndumbele once explained to me when facing hyperinflation and food shortages and daily power cuts and spiralling unemployment in his homeland. When you expect life to be easy, he said, it is very hard. But when you expect it to be hard, it's way easier. You know, I think one of the reasons why this last year has been so incredibly devastating to so many is the expectation that it is our right to have an easy life. But that is a message that is completely at odds with the teaching of Scripture. James says, when troubles of any kind come your way. Other translations say whenever you fall into trials or more literally when you trip over them. It's a word picture. You're just walking along minding your own business and you trip. You don't plan to do it. It just happens. Let's be honest. You don't plan a year like the one we've just had. No, it's completely unexpected. You just fall into it. You just trip over it. Now, Interestingly, or at least I find it pretty interesting, the word trouble here could also be translated trial or disaster, or get this, plague. And the various trials and disasters and plagues that make up life this side of Eden, where sin is still in our body and in the systems of our society, from your car breaking down to the loss of a friend to a vicious disease and really everything in between. All of these troubles, when they come our way, when we fall into them, when we trip over them, we're to consider them, according to James, as an opportunity for great joy. Now, let's not rush over this. Just let it sink in. Whenever you trip over something you didn't plan for, something you dislike that's the cause of pain or suffering, James's word to you and to me is consider it great joy. For those watching who are hurting right now, who are feeling acute pain, who are grieving over very real loss, who are struggling to keep going, James is redefining all of that as an opportunity for joy. Now, how in the world is that even possible? Well, verse 3 provides the answer. James says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. 
I was chatting to Russ recently. He was reminiscing about how he used to drive Aston Martins over frozen lakes to see whether the braking systems that he had designed worked in the most extreme circumstances. And I suggest it is that kind of testing that's in view here. It's not like the GCSE or A-level exams that won't now be happening this summer. It's not like a test where there are right and wrong answers. It's more like testing a car, pushing it to the very limit to see if it actually has the capacity to do what its maker intended it to do or whether it's just marketing hype. In other words, what driving on frozen lakes is to Russ, trials are to a disciple of Jesus. And these trials are a test of our faith. Now, the word faith here isn't to be confused with the word belief. Belief is more to do with a level of trust in God. Faith has to do with how long we can hold on to that trust in God through trials and trouble. Faith in God is faithfulness to God no matter what comes. And I suggest that is what is being put to the test right now in the midst of this pandemic. Do we trust God enough to stay faithful to him and his teaching and the church for as long as it takes? Or will we throw in the towel and quit and simply call it a day? Hence, the connection here between the testing of our faith and endurance. For you know, James says, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Other translations speak of perseverance or steadfastness. It's basically the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. It means to stay, to remain, to continue when you're under pressure and circumstances are against you. And it's a word that is infused with hope. It is focused on the future in such a way that it enables us to live well in the here and now. And that is what trials have the potential to produce in us, a hopeful power to keep on going even when life is incredibly hard. James goes on to speak of the importance of giving endurance a chance to grow. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this as, don't try to get out of this prematurely or prematurely. It's like, let it finish its work. So let it grow, James says, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The end goal then, is that we become perfect, or a better translation would be mature, and that would be complete or whole, not lacking or deficient in anything. The whole idea here is that prior to your various trials, you were missing something, but your trials have helped you develop in maturity, giving you all you need to live in closer relationship with Jesus which is all well and good. 
But what's the link between endurance and maturity? Well, as you know, you don't sink your way into maturity, do you? It'd be nice if it was as easy as just read this book and listen to these three podcasts and, aha, then you'll be mature. But sadly, it's not quite that straightforward. No, you persevere your way into maturity. Maturity is the cumulative effect of a lifetime of obedience to God through many troubles and trials. And when you put all of that together, that is why when troubles and trials of any kind come our way, we should consider it an opportunity for great joy. But let's be real. Not only people right now are viewing this current COVID trial as a source of great joy, are they? And so let me take a step back and try and explain what enables those of us who are followers of Jesus to be different. Three quick fire reasons. First of all, because we're part of the family of God. Now, the more observant ones among us may have noticed that I skipped over one word in verse 2, which is translated here as brothers and sisters. It's important to stress that James's call to consider it great joy wasn't written to everyone. No, it's a call specifically for the family of God. In fact, the joy he's writing about here makes no sense whatsoever unless you're a follower of Jesus. And I hasten to add, it's not because we're any better than everyone else. No, it's simply because we live by a very different worldview and system of meaning. You see, as Christians, we discover meaning from God. It's a meaning that's outside of ourselves. We discover it through the life and teaching of Jesus, through scripture, through prayer, through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. But without God, we have to frantically try and self-generate meaning from inside of us, based really solely on our opinions, our preferences, our desires, our likes and our dislikes. And so, I think when you strip it all back, pretty much the default meaning of life for most of the people we know in our city is simply being happy. Which means, at best, suffering is an unwelcome interruption to the meaning of life. If not, in the case of a problem you can't fix, a permanent blockage to the meaning of life. Listen, when what you measure is personal happiness, then a year like 2020 is counted a colossal loss. But when what you value are things like maturity and relationship, the person you become, the relationships you develop, then a year like the one we've just had at least has the potential to come out as a net gain. And so the first thing that enables us to experience troubles and trials with joy is that we're part of God's family and he gives us a whole different vision for life. Secondly, linked to what we've just seen, we are not alone because we're brothers and sisters. We're in it 
together. We're not alone. Now, let's be honest. The last year has been pretty traumatic for so many of us. But psychologists suggest that one of the keys to recovery from trauma is having relational connection with others. A community of people around us who will sit with us in and through our problems, not fixing us, not not telling us what to do, but being held by one another in love as family. Please, let's not take this for granted. We have a relational home in the church and we need to dig deeper into it, especially at times like these. Even with the challenge of lockdown, I want to encourage you to move toward relationship rather than away from it. Even when it's hard, through all the mess and the disappointments and the hurt and the anger when you don't want to forgive and you're tempted to just cut people off, my appeal is to stay in relationship. And not only stay in relationship, but push for greater depth. Won't you be honest, be real, ask for help when you need it, admit to others when you're struggling, let others in. And just to say, if you're not part of the church here, perhaps you're just looking in from the outside or maybe you've kind of drifted away during the last few months, please, won't you accept the invitation to engage or re-engage with one of our community groups? If you want more information, if you want to reach out and ask to be part of one or at least be connected with one, uh, there's an email address on the screen right now. Why don't you just fire off a quick email and we'll connect you in as quickly as possible. Our message is really Whatever you're going through right now, you don't have to go through it alone. And then thirdly, through all of our troubles, we know that God is at work in us to give us far more than we lose. Now, you may beg to differ, but my personal view is that suffering is rarely from God, but is almost always used by God if we're aware of his work in us and open ourselves to learn from it, which is important because I think we tend to fixate on the question of why, don't we? Like, why COVID-19? Why a pandemic? Why am I in pain? Why another lockdown? That's the wrong place to start. And we may in reality never get satisfactory answers to any of those questions. It's way better to ask what. God, what do you want to grow and mature in and through me during this trial? And just to help you out, one of the things that personally I believe God might be doing through this time is exposing the deficiency of the things we think we need in order to have a happy, flourishing and fulfilled life. Like, if all of our happiness is attached simply to our job or to our income or our health or our ability to travel, our social life, our sexuality... When any of that is stripped away, it's incredibly painful. But it also has the potential to set us free. 
because these attachments aren't often what hold us back from deeper relationship with God. Listen, we may never get another opportunity quite like this one to strip out unhealthy attachments and habits and develop new, more healthy, life-giving ones. But for that to happen, we need to allow God to work in us. We need to give endurance a chance to grow. Bottom line is, whether you realise it or not, God is outworking you right now. The question is, will you slow down enough to ask him what he's doing? Now, just to be transparent with you, for me, among other things, he's been stripping away my need for control and certainty. I mean, let's be honest, all of that's out the window. I can't plan anything right now. He's also purified my motivations. I mean, in church leadership, it's really easy to do the right thing for the wrong reasons, to be motivated not by love, but by ego or fear, or simply the need for affirmation from others. And he's also cultivating new healthy habits, habits of Bible reading and prayer and physical exercise. Now, has this last year been pleasant? No, it's probably been the toughest thing I've ever lived through. But would I like to have been spared the last 10 months? Absolutely not. If it meant I wouldn't have learned those lessons. Because through all the pain, on reflection, there's been more gain than loss. That's my example. I'd encourage you to spend some time reflecting over the next week or so on what God is trying to do in you. And if in reality you conclude you've perhaps missed the opportunity to grow through this season, the good news is it's not over yet. Why not set out to squeeze as much benefit out of the remaining months of this pandemic as you possibly can? That you would look back in years to come and see it as a time of net growth in your life, in your marriage, your singleness, your work, your character, your relationship with others, your relationship with God. Ask yourself where God is calling you to a new level of maturity and completeness. Ask yourself, what, what are you missing that God is trying to add into your life? Can you identify what God is trying to work into you so you can cooperate with his spirit and grow through this time? And all that being said, it's much easier to teach this stuff than to actually live it. But the call to endure through trials with joy is based in the real life example of James's older brother, Jesus, who, if you think about it, did the same for us in love. Let me finish then by reading these famous verses from Hebrews 12 over you. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give up. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. No, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Ultimately then, We're able to endure hardship because Jesus endured hardship for us and all for the joy set before him. Life with us in the Father's house as a family forever. And so as we endure far less than he endured for us, let's do so with joy at the life with him that lies before us.